This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. June 2009, North Las Vegas, Nevada. Two-year-old Evelise Cabria was put to bed by her foster parents one summer evening. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. The next morning, when they went to wake the toddler for breakfast, she was nowhere to be seen. The front door was wide open with a small chair next to it, the perfect height for a toddler to reach the deadbolt and walk out of the home. No trace of Evelise has ever been found. Is this what actually happened, though? Police questioned this version of events immediately, especially considering the foster parents waited four hours to report Evelise missing. And then it was revealed no one had seen the little girl in almost a month. And the foster parents had a sketchy history, leaving many to question why was Evelise and her brother ever placed in their care. This is Evelise's story. Unfortunately, this story starts the way too many start. Marlena Olivius and Anisto Cabrera struggled with drug addiction their whole lives. Throughout Marlena's first pregnancy, a little girl they named Evelise, born January 26, 2004. Throughout Marlena's first pregnancy, a little girl they named Evelise, born January 26, 2004, they were able to stay clean. But by the time they welcomed their second child, a boy they named Benjamin, a little over a year later, staying sober was more of a struggle. Both Marlena and Benjamin tested positive for marijuana and cocaine soon after birth. Because of this, and because they didn't have stable housing for the babies, Everlise and Benjamin were removed from their care, the children bouncing from Child Haven to a temporary shelter home to foster care. Anisto and Marlene are ordered to secure suitable housing before it would even be a consideration to regain custody of their children. Everlise and Benjamin were placed with an experienced foster care family, that of Velma, or V, and Manuel Carrasco. The Carrascos had been foster carers since June 2005, and in that time they had had half a dozen foster children come in and out of their care. The family lived in Diamond Pound Court, North Las Vegas, in the home of their 34-year-old son. Also in the home was Villemanuel's younger 14-year-old son. All the while, Anisto and Marlena were determined to turn their lives around. They wanted their children back and were attending classes. They found a home in Elmont, California. And despite the distance, they did not miss a visitation with their babies. Marlena would later report the children seemed happy and well cared for, initially anyway. Quote, Initially we felt good because we were told all of these things, to not worry, that the kids were checked on once a month, that they did home inspections once a month. They were highly recommended. Unquote. Now unfortunately, all the things they had been told about the Carrascals were very much far from the truth. 
And Evelise and Benjamin should not have been in that foster home in the first place. It's important to note here, Ernesto and Marlena were not perfect, far from it. The children were removed from their care, but there was no indication of abuse nor neglect, and the couple were doing everything in their power to get clean and stay clean. And when Marlena gave birth to her third child at University Medical Centre July 5th, 2006, the infant and mother were drug-free. Quote, I'm clean and sober. The baby is clean. They let me know that me and the baby are totally healthy. Unfortunately, due to the couple still being two classes short of completing their drug treatment classes, this child too was removed from their care and placed in foster care. Not with the Carrascals, but another family. The last time Marlena and Anisto saw their little girl was May 15, 2006, almost a full month before her disappearance. I'm not sure how often these visitations were. I think given the distance the families were living from each other and the requirements Anisto and Marlena had on them, it may have been as much as once a month. But on this last visitation, Evelise had a significant burn mark on her hand. This concerned Marlena, but when she questioned how could this happen, the Carrascals provided no explanation. This would be the last time that not only her biological parents saw Evelise, but investigators have not been able to find anyone outside the Carrascals who had seen Evelise after May 15, 2006. This would be the last time not only her biological parents saw Evelise, but investigators have been unable to find anyone outside the Carrascals who had seen Everlease since May 15, 2006, bringing into question when Everlease actually went missing. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! <sighs> and this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> <sighs> Smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. June 6, 2006. The Carrascals put two-and-a-half-year-old Evelise and 11-month-old Benjamin to bed as normal, checking on the siblings at 1am when they were heading to bed themselves and everything seemed fine. Everything was normal. The little girl and her brother were fast asleep in their beds. Everlise dressed in a matching pink shirt and pink short outfit with no socks because of the humid summer Nevada weather. Around 8am, June 10th, 2006, when V and Manuel went to wake up the little girl for breakfast, she wasn't there. Her bed was empty and Everlise was nowhere to be seen. She couldn't have gone far, and the most logical solution was that she was somewhere in the house. But while searching, they noticed that the front door to the house was partially open with a small chair pushed up next to it, the chair being the perfect height for Everlise to reach the deadbolt. Despite realising Everlise was missing at 8am, the missing persons report was never called into North Las Vegas Police until noon that day, four hours later. This is extremely suspicious and really strange. I would struggle to wait four minutes if I couldn't find my child. It's never been explained why they waited so long to report it. Even a thorough search of the home in immediate neighbourhood. Diamond Pound Court is a heavily residential area. 
even that search with the two of them, and then there was two other people in the house that could also help with the search, it couldn't have taken longer than 30 minutes. Maybe stretch it out to an hour. But after an hour and there is no sign of a missing two-year-old, we are talking about a two-year-old here. Surely there would be enough of a concern to alert the authorities. But no, they waited four hours. Police were immediately on the scene with organised searches. The community did turn up, eager to volunteer to find the missing, beautiful little girl. Everyone thought that she'd be found quickly. She could not have gone far in the dark with no shoes on. Evelisa's biological parents arrived soon after from California to speak to the media and hand out flyers. The missing persons flyers being printed in both English and Spanish to encourage more leads and tips being called in. Anisto and Marlena have been mainstayers and have been the voice that Evelise doesn't have in the search for her. Marlena made an emotional plea for her daughter's safe return. Quote, we don't care who you are. We don't need to know anything except that she's somewhere and that she's hopefully okay. Unquote. Police spoke to every registered sex offender in the area about the case, but there were no leads. No evidence of where Evelise could have went and where she is now. V and Manuel were interviewed by police on the day of the disappearance. This would be the one and only interview they would have with police. Soon after, they would lawyer up and refuse to discuss the missing girl, arguing they had said everything there was to say and there was no information about the missing girl. Evelise's brother, Benjamin, would be removed from the Carrasco's family home and placed with another foster family in the days following. When they were later questioned in court during a civil lawsuit, both V and Manuel pleaded their Fifth Amendment rights. They didn't want to risk self-incrimination and refused to answer any questions being put to them. But even before the civil lawsuit, many would highlight their behaviour as strange. And if the Carrasco's closing up ranks from police weren't enough of a red flag... They put complaints in to the local police to put a stop to the candlelight vigils that were being held at the front of their home. They would also eventually seek a harassment case against a neighbour who set up a memorial of sorts in front of their home. A beautiful memorial with teddy bears and flowers and cards. The National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children offered their services. But after two days of searching, the police made the decision to call off all ground searches. The lead detective on the case, Detective Weiss, told the media, quote, I can tell you an extensive investigation was done of the neighbourhood and the desert area around it, looking for Evelise, dead or alive, unquote. And unfortunately, the hours and days and weeks and months passed without any trace of Evelise. It wouldn't be long before the media would uncover some concerning and alarming behaviour by the Carrascals. That the Department of Family Services were never informed that the Carrascals had an adult son in the home. And because they didn't know of his existence in the home, he wasn't licensed to foster and wasn't given a criminal background check. Not only this, though, was V. Emmanuel's sketchy foster carer history. The Carrascals received their foster carer licence in June 2005. This was when only six courses were required to be a foster carer, unlike the nine they are required to do today. The couple would quickly receive their first child, a little boy aged three. But they decided they didn't want him and requested he be placed in another home, 
and they didn't want to wait, dumping the preschooler at a child haven. This obviously didn't concern family services, and they would give the couple another placement less than a month later. December 2005. V and Manuel would front an emergency with this child. This second foster child had burns all over his body. The Carrascals claiming that the child spilt hot soup on themselves. And despite the child having what would be second and third degree burns all over their body, which would have been so painful and noticeable, the Carrascals waited a total of eight hours before seeking medical attention. Child Protective Services would do an investigation into these injuries, and while they wrote in their report the burns were deemed unintentional, somehow, there were no home inspections or checking up on the child. But while it was deemed an accident and neither Manuel or V were accused of abusing the child, thankfully there was some sanity here because the child was removed from their care. Over the next month, just like with the first boy in their care, the Carrascals dumped two more foster children at a child haven. Finally, at this point, their behaviour was deemed to be a concern and their foster care licence was temporarily suspended in late January 2006. This suspension would be lifted only three months later, in April 2006. Their foster carer licence was renewed despite their failure to complete the required training. This would be when Evelise and Benjamin were placed in their care. September 2006, four months after Evelise disappeared, Ernesto and Marlena filed a lawsuit against the Carrascals and the Department of Family Services in Clark County, Nevada. They were accused of negligence in supervising and monitoring Evelise when she was in their custody. And as I mentioned, the Carrascals didn't testify, pleading their Fifth Amendment due to possible self-incrimination. This lawsuit would be settled out of court for $300,000 in September of 2007. This also released the foster family for future civil liability. The funds paid by the Carrascals Insurance Company, and the insurance was organised for all foster carers by the county. Out of this, Anisto and Marlena donated $35,000 to Child Focus to start the Everlease Everlasting Education Fund and this money would be used to tutor and mentor foster children in the Clark County public education system. There was a small ray of hope two years later, in April 2008. A little Hispanic girl was found during a drug raid in Wisconsin, and she looked very much like Everlise and would have been around the same age as a missing girl. Unfortunately, when the DNA test results were returned six months later, it was not a match. The Carrascals have since moved away from North Las Vegas and their whereabouts now are unknown. Let's play devil's advocate here. They aren't guilty, just a victim of circumstance. And then they are heavily criticised for not being cooperative with police at the advice of their lawyers. And honestly, I don't blame them for lawyering up, guilty or innocent. I would always recommend seeking legal counsel if being questioned because... You never know if you're going to say something that's going to incriminate you, even when you haven't done anything wrong. Their neighbours also protested in their front yard, accusing them of doing something to Everlise. They cannot be blamed for packing up and leaving. Not to tell police where they are going and being so detached from the investigation, that's what sends up red flags for me. 
There was a definite positive of the Carrascals leaving because officials were able to gain access to the property. They used cadaver dogs and ground-penetrating radar to thoroughly search the area. It's unclear if anything of interest was found. For what it's worth, investigators do not believe that Everlise left on her own accord. Detective Weiss would admit in media interviews that for Everlise's disappearance to happen the way V. Emmanuel said it did, it would take a bizarre chain of events. Quote, A two-year-old wandering out of her house in the middle of the night is significant, but then also she was never found. This would also mean some predator would have had to have come upon her at the exact same time, and this would be another significant coincidence. Unquote. There is currently a $50,000 reward for information leading to the recovery of Everlease. Unfortunately, there is no happy ending for anyone in this story. After Everlise's disappearance and then losing custody of a newborn only a month later, it all became too much for Anisto and Marlena and they again succumbed to their drug addictions. What is really sad here is that when Everlise went missing, it all became too much for Anisto and Marlena and they again succumbed to their drug addictions. What is really sad here was that when Everlise went missing, they were only two months away from finishing the Department of Family Services requirements to get their children back. They tried to keep the faith that she was alive and things would get better. Quote, The minute we stop thinking about it, we freak out. We need everyone to keep looking and remember her. Unquote. In December 2007, they surrendered their rights to Evelise's brothers, prosecutors claiming they were unfit parents due to their ongoing battle with drugs. But rather than let the courts decide if and when they would see their boys, the couples agreed to an open adoption with a foster family, and they continued to have regular visitation. Following the civil lawsuit, Clark County no longer provides insurance to its foster families, citing excessive losses as the reason. This would relate to not only the $300,000 paid out in Evelise's case, it seems, unfortunately, there were, and possibly still is, a lot of deep-seated issues within the foster care system in that county that desperately needs to be addressed. Evelise Cabrera was two years old at the time of her disappearance. She is Hispanic and was two foot six and 25 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a pink shirt, pink shorts and no shoes. However, given the questions surrounding when Everlise actually disappeared, this is debatable. If Everlise is still alive today, she would be 18 years old. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Everlise Cabrera, please contact the North Las Vegas Police Department on 1702 633 If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. 
Music is by Mayu. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags.